Welcome to the film that blew my mind. I'm Tabitha Jackson. And I'm John Cooper. This week, we're talking to Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Hello. Okay, well, Joe, good to see you. Hey, John, how are you, man? Good to see you. It's been a while. Yeah, it really has. I'm so glad you're doing this, and thanks for calling me about it. How long have you guys known each other? How long have we known each other? Man, I don't... I, I mean, it's it's... I don't know if it's two decades. It's definitely more than one decade. Yeah, it is now. Um, yeah, because he was, you know, he was involved. In, plus, you were on the board of Sundance for a while too, right? So exactly. Yeah, I, I was an artist in residence on the board. I got to see how it all works. No, <laughs> <laughs> dear. Um, and we did even. We used to always fly out of Burbank. I remember I flew with your parents a few times. I like I sat next to your mom once and had. I got your whole life story from your mom. Like you never let your mom sit next to anybody because. Well, there was a really special moment actually that you were intimately involved with too, because of being on the board of Sundance where we went up to one of those board retreats up at Sundance on the mountain in Utah. And it was, it was just after my brother had died and it was, uh, and Sundance was a special thing for me and him too. Cause he and I had had some really special moments at Sundance together. And so it, it was like, you know, one of the first few times I had like left the house when dealing with depression and grief from such a, a loss. And, and that's why I brought my parents was because they were, we were kind of all grieving together and it felt like it would be a nice place to go, to go up to that serene mountain setting. And, uh, and I believe we flew up there with you, John, and you and you were really kind and gentle <laughs> with with three very you know uh, tender people that were dealing with horrendous pain at the moment. And I I always remember how sensitive you were to that. Well, you were all beautiful and a very sweet family. I remember you were so close with your parents then. Maybe maybe you still are. <laughs> you probably are. But but it was yeah, it was a very sweet moment. And yeah, Sundance was such a healing place. I could see it was a good plan, actually, on your part. And now they have a zip line there, which I've done as well. If, if you go back, the zip line, oh, wow, zip no, line is frightening. It is so high up <laughs> and so long. It's not so good for grief, though, is it? It's a funny question of whether a zip line is good in the moment of grief. I found, uh, I found grief really unexpected in a lot of moments like that, where I and I, I would even find myself asking myself, wait, is this right? I'm supposed to be sad, aren't I? Why am I laughing right now? Or like, why am I, you know, and, uh, and I, I came out of that experience with a much more, um, I don't know, uh, open-minded idea of how grief was supposed to go. And uh, I, I mean, the zip line wasn't there, but I wonder, I mean, probably, I probably would have ridden it at the time if I could, just cause that would have been a very, um, Dan thing to do. My brother, Dan, he would have very much wanted me to have ridden the zip line if I were grieving his death. John's laughing because he remembers Dan and he knows that that's true. Yeah. So let's, let's get into the real meat of what we're doing here. Tab. We, we always believe we should start with a kind of an official introduction. So we're going to go with that. You just have to bear with us on this one and you'll get a chance to correct us afterwards. Okay. <laughs> He writes and directs. He sings. He dances. Most of all, he acts. Our guest today is the one and only Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Joseph, I'm going to talk about you in the third person. His credits are almost too numerous to mention. Inception, 500 Days of Summer, Snowden, Lincoln. They actually are too numerous to mention. 
we are going to say that obviously there's nothing that you can't do, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And you're here today with us to share the film that blew your mind. So thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It was really a pleasure to hear from you. And I think it's time to name that film because he has some explaining to do as far as I'm yeah. concerned. <laughs> so. That's perfect. That's perfect. Yeah, so, so I, I got the invitation. Okay, we're making a podcast about the film that blew your mind. And this is coming from, you know, John Cooper in in my mind. Is, you know, the director of Sundance is the one that, like, he was the, the mind who had to say yes. My first feature got to play at Sundance, you know, and I made, I made kind of an indie, um, I don't know, boundary pushing or something like edgy, you know, m- movie about sex and pornography and things like that. And, um, and I certainly love, like, art films. I love Fellini or, you know, uh, I don't know, Leos Carax or... Lars von Trier or something. And I like half thought, okay, I'm, I, I guess I'm going to like talk about Cassavetes or something. But if I'm really honest, I haven't been like spending as much time with art films lately. I'm a dad. The last seven years of my life, the, the dominant experience is being a dad. And the, the most recent film that truly, truly I would put toe to toe with any great film that just inspire me the way that any of the my favorite favorite movies have is a film that i watched with my family and that film is encanto the uh walt disney film encanto and uh, i know it's a it's a disney movie and it's you know quote unquote for kids or something but i'm here to make the argument that this film has merits that you would i i would put toe to toe with really any any film and i think its story is as deep its characters as well rendered, the execution as impeccable as as any, and um, I love it. it. Makes me cry every time. Makes me laugh every time. I've seen it many times, and um, and it blew your mind. Yeah, it <laughs> there blew we go. my mind. So that, that, there's there's my beginning. That's some big talk, Joseph Gordon. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know which one of your three names to use. What can I call you? Uh, Joe. Or Joseph, Giuseppe, Jose. Okay, I'm going to go Jose, given the choice of film. I'm going to go Jose. (laughs) So, Jose, where did you see Encanto for the first time? Give us, take us, take us to the experience of seeing the film for the first time. Oh, let's see. I've seen it so many times now, it's hard to necessarily remember the very first time, but I'm sure it was, you know, in my house. With your kids the first time? Yeah, with my kids. Yeah. And um, we, don't watch a lot of stuff with my kids. We try to be really, uh, you know, specific with what we let them watch. My kids are right now five and seven. Um, and uh, we also have a, a baby. She doesn't watch anything. And uh, look, there's there's actually a bunch of Disney films that I think are really, like, worthwhile and really good. Uh, Inside Out is a really good one. Uh, Moana, I think, is a really good one. Um, and a bunch of the shorts, the Pixar shorts. There's one about a dumpling that's really good. There's one about like a seagull that's really good. But um, Encanto, I would I would argue, is sort of, in my experience, categorically different as far as how it activates uh, sort of uh, so many thoughts and ideas as well as so many emotions for me. And the funny thing about watching it with uh, kids, because you ask like, okay, what was the first experience? 
I'm I'm watching it and having all these ideas, which we can get into, about what I think the movie's about. And I know that almost none of those are actually what's on the mind of my kids. They're they're watching something on a you know a very different level. And 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 the thing is, I do we talk during movies and and we talk about what's going on. So I I do my best to sort of give a an explanation that that they'll understand about some of the themes of this of this film about being honest or about you know uh what people think of you and how that matters or doesn't matter and um things like that and uh and having just having them really tune into and understand these ideas that I I find really healthy and important um is uh it's a different kind of experience than going to a movie with your other adult friends and having a you know an intellectual conversation about about a movie but that was yeah so that, and that's been my experience the whole time just, i've watched it a number of times it's always at my house with my kids should we get should we get in the mood cooper by maybe just hearing a little bit of a maybe hearing a little bit of the opening maybe the opening, opening. number that sort of sets it up yeah exactly and then jose that's maybe it. afterwards you could give us the two-liner just for those listeners who tuned in to hear about Cassavetes and have an arty conversation <laughs> if they haven't seen Encanto you can tell them what it's about and then we can okay. take it from there so yeah right. let's hear a bit of the opening song let's go. this is our home we've got every generation so full of music a rhythm of its own design this is my family a perfect constellation so many stars and everybody gets to shine whoa let's be clear up well I run this show whoa I wanted to make sure that um, that because she's such a big character, the abuela is introduced in that song. Yeah, because it's it's a big plot point, which I think is so much different than other Disney movies too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. This, this is this movie in comparison to other Disney movies. There's a whole thread of conversation I think to have just about that. It it because in a lot of ways this movie is a a commentary on certain norms that are enforced by the canon of Disney movies. On family as opposed to outside forces that have evil incarnate or something coming in. This is all yes. homemade problems that yes. you have to get through. That's exactly right. And there's no, there isn't any really evil antagonist. Exactly. I mean, we could, if we got deep into the details, but anyway, yeah. yeah give us the, give us the, give us the, Top line, if you can, Jose, about what this film is about. <laughs> sure. So, so one of the lines that you might have heard in that song, she, she's talking about her family. It's a family drama. The, the first song is all about introducing all the members of the family. And by the way, there are a lot of characters, it's, and it's like uh, one of those great novels with tons of characters, because that's really how family drama works. You can't reduce it to just one or two people. Um, but she she says um, she compares her family to a constellation of stars and says everybody gets to shine. And this to me, this is one of a, a, a this is a theme that runs through the lyrics um, is shining and being stars. And uh, this is one of my favorite parts of the movie is I, I think we as a culture are sort of obsessed with being stars and shining meaning we want to find what is it about me that's special and how am I going to shine and um, not just being content with yourself. The way that theme resolves in, in the sort of final number 
of the movie is uh, there's a line that says, um, stars don't shine, they burn. And constellations shift. And, um, and I think what that means, this actually wasn't my idea. My wife came up with this idea and I thought it was so smart. And I actually went on the internet and said, like, do other people interpret these lines this way? And I don't know that they do. I didn't find anyone else interpreting it this way. But I, I, to me, this is what Lin-Manuel Miranda must have meant. So there's a difference literally between shining and burning. And that difference is shining is when light comes from the outside and bounces off of you. The moon shines, but the sun burns like all the stars, the stars burn. They're creating their own light from all the chemical activity that's going on inside them. Where as opposed to something like the moon or a diamond or something like that, which shines, that doesn't make any light of its own. It's just light comes off of it from the sun or somewhere else and reflects off of it. And so this, this notion at the, the beginning of the movie, she says, she compares her family to a constellation of stars and she says, everybody gets to shine. And at the end of the movie, she says, stars don't shine, they burn. This is kind of what the movie's about. Caring less about shining, about the light coming off of you from outside and how that reflects and needing to put on appearances and seem perfect. And instead, uh, burning, having something inside of you that you just know to be true, that that's yourself. And so... With that theme in mind, I'll tell you the, the basic premise of the movie. It's a story about a family who's magical. Every member of the family has a magical power, a magical gift. And then the protagonist of the movie is the, the youngest sister, and her name is Mirabel. And she didn't get a gift. She doesn't have a magic power, and all of her other family members do. She's still part of the family Madrigal. If you heard like the rest of the song, it, the, the, that opening song, uh, gets to, like, okay, she's told you what everybody's magic gift is, but they're all like, but what's yours? And she's sort of avoiding and dodging and weaving and like singing faster and faster all these lyrics about the rest of her family until she finally gets cornered and has to admit that she didn't get a gift. I love when the kids say, when she says, who's asking? And they go, we are. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's just sort of like, we are. Like, don't we have a right to yes, know? exactly. <laughs> and uh, And so the story is about her sort of trying to figure out um, what's not just why didn't she get a gift, but her family and her, her family's magical house is falling apart and they don't know why. And they think it might have something to do with her that like she broke the magic or something. And no one's really admitting the, the problems, the tensions in, in the family. And it turns out that her power, if you will, even though it's not a magic power, her power is, is the truth that she's the one who's like who who just wants to find the truth and tell the truth and she gets to the bottom of what's going on and eventually sort of heals the family and um that's uh that's the basic story that that your your gift your magical power that the world outside thinks makes you special that that creates a lot of pressure and um and really the the gift is not your magical power the gift is you that you underneath is is really what's special and what matters just got to say that was an awesome retelling that was fantastic so so where do we go from there you uh, firstly i want to ask you is there a particular character in the film that you identify with 
Um, well, I identified with different ones at different times. I certainly identify with with the protagonist Mirabel, who who doesn't have a gift, because I think we all feel like that sometimes, and I certainly do. And uh, e- even though I I recognize that that um, <laughs> you just gave me this like very flattering introduction about how I act and write and direct and all these things, and like so people often you know think that I'm that that's special or something. And, but I, that the in, internally, the internal experience is always one of like, I don't know if I'm actually, I'm, I could be a fraud. I'm an imposter. I don't know if I'm actually good at any of this stuff. And like, and, and so that sort of self doubt that the protagonist is wrestling with is definitely one I identify with. And then on the other hand, there's uh Mirabel's older sister. She has two older sisters. There's the beauty and the brawn and the, the beauty Isabella. She's like, She's like the normal Disney princess. She's gorgeous and she can grow flowers magically and everybody admires her and wants to be like her. And her storyline is like, actually, she's really unhappy and she doesn't want to marry the prince. And like, but she doesn't feel like she can say that because she'll be disappointing her family. And the other sister is um, Luisa. And she's, she's this super, super strong, like m- muscle bound, like she can pick up a house or a donkey. And she's, and so she does all this work. And for, for everybody and she's constantly just pushing herself to the limit of working working and 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 using her strength to do what she feels is helpful but but really she's she feels a tremendous amount of pressure and her song is called surface pressure and it's also it's such a great great song and it's about this this feeling of like i need to maintain appearances that i'm strong i'm the strong one I'm not nervous. I'm as tough as the crust of the earth is. That's the first that's the first line. But under the surface, she's like she's feels all this pressure and it's weighing on her and she doesn't feel like she can say that because she considers herself lucky to have this gift of strength and and that she she wants to use it all the time to help everybody. And she doesn't feel like she can ever admit that she's actually sometimes weak or wants to lay down or wants help. And uh, I definitely identify with that, too. And I imagine a lot of people can. I identified a bit with um, Abuela, actually, because, because I think because I'm I think I always say this about everything, but because I'm English, slightly repressed, yeah. slightly like every, no one loses their shit. Everything's fine. Let's just present yeah. a good face to the world. Everything is everything is fine. Uh, but I know. Cooper, you didn't have such a warm response to Abuela in this film. Well, I just, I just found it interesting that if you look at a the bad guy in a in a Disney movie, it's Grandma, which is yeah. like, <laughs> okay. That's a that's a big concept. There's no evil monster <laughs> or mm-hmm. queen or somebody over there in a castle. She's right there in your home, controlling everything. It's just like, um, but then it's that you know she's doing it to protect things, and that's her other side of her her persona so that's what gets in the way somehow protecting the not not letting everybody be honest and and um be in the moment sort of of their own life um i thought that's what kind of the end thing was for me because you wanted to you there was a while there was a minute there in the film where you really didn't like her where you blamed her for everything and then and then you don't and then you get past it which every family has to do you have to get past that and someone trying to control everything and make everything right and um she definitely does yeah Yeah. which is so different than your typical disney antagonist who just has bad intentions she has the best of intentions right right 
it's like, oh, they made they made a movie without a villain, which they're famous for their villains. You know, there's no Ursula. There's no this, you know. Right, right, right. What do you think your, what do you get a sense of your kids having taken, I know this is about the film that blew your mind, not your kids' minds, but what were they taking from it that you were noticing? Yeah, well, the thing that we stress the most with our kids when watching this one is about being honest. And it, it's like you were just talking about the grandma character, Abuela. She's, with the best of intentions, she's just dishonest the whole time because she wants to. It's, it's, like, I, I, it's funny you said it's an English thing. Probably everybody from wherever they're from would say it's a, well, it's a Jewish thing or it's an Italian thing or whatever. I don't know. But like, because uh, I think everybody has this tendency to want to say it's fine. Everything's good. Let's all smile. There's no problem here. We don't talk about the problems. And um, that's happening constantly in this movie is the protagonist Mirabel is like, is this okay? Is that okay? What happened with this? What happened with that? And everyone's like, don't talk about that. Don't ask about that. Everything's fine. Everything's going to be great. And, and so we, um, when we watch it with our kids, we're constantly saying like, hey, wait, was that true? And, and, they, and trying to point out to them when people aren't being honest and telling them over and over how the protagonist is being honest and how ultimately she's the one who saves the day, really mostly just by telling the truth. I never even realized that in a queer household, it would be totally that, like don't, you know, how you have to not hide from the truth because that's if once you start hiding then you're in a spiral then you're then your house is crumbling just like you know it was exactly yeah the house metaphor is such a that the, throughout the movie that oh my god that's the one that killed me yeah and there's there's so the and one of the central songs is we don't talk about bruno there's this uncle who's been ostracized and the 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 song is called we don't talk we about don't bruno, talk about bruno. <laughs> And uh, and it's because he his magical power was he could see the future, and whenever he, his his visions would always make people mad because they were honest. He told me I'd grow a ghost, and just like he said, he said that all my hair would disappear. Now look at my hair. Your fate is sealed when your prophecy is told- And so, and you find out that actually. Uh, he he hasn't left. He's just hiding in like the cracks of the walls, and 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 trying to repair, um, not the cracks. He's hiding sort of in between the walls, and he's trying to repair the cracks because the house is crumbling, and no one wants to admit it. They have this magical house, and it's crumbling under the weight of all this pressure and the dishonesty, and no one wants to admit that there's cracks in the house. And Bruno's back there, like, trying to fix the cracks. It's such a cinematic... This movie is full of these really clever cinematic uh, metaphors for for what's going on in the story. It, it was so strange to me that that I think our kids were, were singing it as well, and I hadn't, hadn't seen the film. It's such an odd 
it's an odd song because it, Bruno sounds like a pedophile or something. It's like, <laughs> it's not that bad that he could just see the future. Well, it's interesting. You mentioned how there's no antagonist. And that's another thing I love about this movie is, so Bruno is sort of positioned as this antagonist mm -hmm. before you finally meet him in the back half of the movie, before the protagonist gets to talk with him. And you see these images of him in this, in this cloak that's over his eyes. And he looks kind of like a classic antagonist like an evil wizard right. or something like that and then when you meet him he's this like very endearing sort of affable smart funny he's guy a goofball yeah he's a goofball <laughs> totally um, but th those kinds like i love my kids getting to see like hey actually sometimes people talk about somebody and portray them to be one thing but if you meet them yourself it's different the other thing that excited me about this film was that sense that there's not uh there's not a conventional antagonist there's there's not even necessarily the the hero and it's normally a hero wants something that they can't have so that so all those classic whether it's kind of aristotelian or just western three act storytelling things there's something different going on so if that can be if that can be resourced and supported by a behemoth like Disney, it does give one hope about the scope of and the expansion of what stories can be in the mass cultural system. But some people did say, oh, there's no ending, it doesn't resolve. And so, some people clearly missed what they had come to rely on in terms of what a story should be and, and is structurally. Oh, that's really interesting if people said there's no ending. I find the ending in incredibly satisfying and so well set up and um they all they all get back to a house that they had to build with their own hands and and not only the family but the community surrounding them like you said and 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 it's because she was able to get everybody to recognize the truth oh that's really funny i would have never even considered the notion that there's not an ending but you're right what there isn't is a bad guy who's defeated and Kanto does something totally different. I did want to talk about that whole notion in this day and age of they start off as refugees. Yeah. <laughs> Dad gets killed. Mm -hmm. Our grand grandfather gets killed because of that. Mm -hmm. You know, you're in Colombia, which is right. also a, a country that was fraught with many, many difficulties of, of political um, unrest. Mm -hmm. And now with that whole notion of this time in America where people's magical homes went away. You know, so many people were very comfortable in life, had big family units. Now, you know, you look at Syria and or places like that. And it's just sort of like that whole fear of the crumbling home, like your home is going to go away. Yeah. And it never felt that in America until now a little bit, there's a possibility of that. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. There's a new. There's a new fear on both sides of the aisle. Do we say in the aisle? But mm -hmm. um, both sides of of that fear of what you love about what you have going away. Someone just crumbling. Not even someone taking it away, but it crumbles like in front of you. And it's like that was the hardest part when the house, because it was such a beautiful house. It's such played up as this beautiful place, mm -hmm. and it goes away. And even when they rebuild it. When she goes into the house again, it becomes magical. Yes. You know, there, there's that. It's very quick. It's a very quick. That's what with the no ending thing. Mm -hmm. 
they're back to the magic again right. in the end. So it's not just that they have a house back, a, a roof over there their head, which was good enough for them, but right. now it's become magical again. Right. And the floor but comes alive, the doors. That yeah. <clears throat> Cooper, that's really that's really beautifully put, you know, what this what this work can mean in this this moment. But so the house crumbles, the the family lose their magical powers, and then they find that actually they are not defined by their their powers, as you said at the, the beginning. It's more they are more than just their gifts. It's kind of a cool way to to leave them, and yet the film at the end gives them all their gifts back, and the house becomes magical again. It's like, oh well, what was the point of that? What was the point of that teachable moment that you were more than your gifts when you just get them back again? You don't go forward thinking, okay, I don't have to be able to carry donkeys and shift houses. I, Louisa, am valuable and valued for just what I am without my gifts. Could have gone that way. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, it's funny. I, I mean, I, if if it had ended without with all of their magical powers being taken away, I guess I would I would take issue with that because I don't want people to think that they shouldn't be special or have gifts or excel. You know, like it's uh, that's good too. Right, yeah. You just, it's just you, that's not the only thing you are. Right. Um, it reminds me of um. Oh, I'm, um, there's that Kurt Vonnegut short story. I'm forgetting the name of it, but it's about this, this, like, it's this science fiction dystopia where no one's allowed to be special. And there's this guy who's, who's like really special. And, and if you are special, then if you're smarter than anybody, then the average, they like attach earphones to you that like makes a really loud sound in your ears all the time to distract you. And if you're stronger than average, they like weigh you down with weights and, uh, it's, it's interesting in, in, when I first read it, I, I remember loving it. And in, in later years, I've come to realize like, huh, this, this could lean, um, like Anne Randian or something, right. which is yeah. suspect, but, but there's something I do like about that too, that there's, there, there is a certain force in society sometimes that, um, then wants to knock you down if you're, if you're being, special i think our our current dominant culture leans too heavily the other way that everyone and this is what i love right. about Encanto that everyone thinks that they have to always be special and look special but um but i i don't know i wouldn't want to go so far as to say like ah the problem is the gifts right people shouldn't shouldn't be magical louisa shouldn't be strong and isabella shouldn't grow flowers right the problem like and it the issue is, and like Isabella does grow flowers in the end, but she grows, she also grows cactuses yeah. and she grows like things that are weird and, and that aren't like just the obvious pleasing thing to her grandmother. And she goes, and Louisa, indie. she goes indie. Yeah, she, exactly. Yeah. She goes punk rock. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, and Louisa does continue being strong, but she also sometimes gets help and people help her sometimes. And she rests sometimes and like all, all of those resolutions to me feel really good i love that you've really thought about this our, our i've very... had a lot of time to think about it, <laughs> <Watched> yeah. it <laughs> a lot. so everybody doesn't have to try to find that story on google the the, the name of the story is harrison bergeron that's it yep yep yeah yeah it's just you know so people don't have to work too hard to find it <laughs> The, the Jose fans will be looking for it right now. <laughs> I like what um, you said about them being refugees and what that means for House. I honestly, I, I haven't thought a lot about that, but it's true. Like the the origin of the magic in the story comes from this tragedy 
that when the grandma character was young and she had her babies, um, the these these sort of uh, violent, I don't know, I guess uh, warmongers come and and are forcing people out of their homes and they have to flee and uh, and the grandfather character dies and from her grief uh, comes this magic. There's this really yeah, this this really beautiful, sad uh, moment where she's doubled over crying and the magic candle at the center of the family's magic kind of gets imbued with um, with her grief and 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 transfers into this miracle of the house. And um, I, I'm really interested in what you just said, John, about how we in the United States, might be for the first time in generations facing some kind of instability that is more well known elsewhere in the world but our our country has been such a stable place for as long as i've been alive and like as long as my parents have been alive but we i think we we all tend to think like oh that's just how life is but in history of course that kind of stability is sort of unprecedented most people throughout history have not lived in with such stability and um it is interesting the notion that it's something that we might be facing in our lifetime kids kids must be absorbing that you know there's no way young people can get away from that almost a trauma that's coming at them i would think i don't (laughs) you know it's, it's scary from you know from our kids i think the climate crisis is is deeply unsettling and thinking and knowing that that's coming in and with the 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 climate change in mm-hmm. the US they are ready for it i mean they are aware of it constantly but i would just say i think for for people like us it has perhaps felt stable there are huge populations in america for whom it's never been in the us that's true who, for whom that's it's never true. been stable there has been a lot of migration northwards because of various, you know, various problems. So I, th- I think, but there is something, and I think that's why I bring up the climate crisis. Doesn't matter who you are, it's going to absolutely. Thank you, British lady, for pointing that out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely. Uh, America, yeah. <laughs> we like to live in denial here and just let us have it. Okay. <laughs> We don't talk about Bruno. <laughs> no, we don't talk about Bruno. Oh my God, that just went, took me to a place. Oh, I'm not going there though. Now, are we jonesing at all to hear a little of Luisa's song, um, just the strength song, or yeah, about the surface pressure? Strength song, or we could do the closing. What? Which? What do you want to hear, Jose? We could. We got the closing song. We got Luisa's song. Yeah, there's well, the, the closing song has the the line "The stars don't shine, they burn," <gasps> oh, which yeah. is where we started. Yes, so I don't love know it. Look at this family, glowing constellation, so full of stars, and everybody wants to shine, but the stars don't shine, they burn, and the constellations shift. It's time you love. That was good. Yeah. (laughs) I think when I watched it, I didn't really. Now you've given me a whole new light on this film from that. The burn. Oh, good. Yeah. Stars don't shine, they burn. The last image of the movie is a photograph 
mm. where uh, and it ties to there's a there's there's two moments where the the family takes a photograph of themselves, which to me is makes it so relevant to our moment in time and in our culture where we're all obsessed with you know photo sharing, mm. social media sites, and we largely uh, see our own identity through how we appear in photos, and um, and so early in the movie, the family takes this photo where they're all displaying their magical gift and they inadvertently without even noticing they leave mirabel out of the photo she's not even in the photo and then in the the closing image is they take another family photo and they're not doing their magic powers they're just like it's like this goofy kind of imperfect they didn't even know that the camera was about to go off and like something's going wrong but they're all kind of like laughing and everyone's in it and it's out of focus and it's it's imperfect and and real and uh mm. yeah I, I love the i love the use of that photograph image in the movie oh man i mean that we've talked we've concentrated on the kind of meaning making of the movie and the stories and the characters within it um we should talk a little about the a little more about the craft perhaps because it's it's pretty amazing it's so impeccable the, the the film craft in this movie is just on another level. There's first of all Lin Manuel Miranda's lyrics. He's in top form, um, and uh, I'm a big Hamilton fan. Uh, and you know, I know obviously that's <laughs> nothing new to say, but um, I actually I would I think Hamilton is even underrated for as appreciated as it is. I just think it's so good. Yeah. And and this the the songs in this movie are like clearly on that same like coming from a, that mind. Um, and but also just the the way they've crafted the story, the way the cinematography works and the blocking, the musical numbers, mm -hmm. the perfection is just you can't do like it's animated. Right. So they're doing things with the musical numbers that kind of just can't be done in in with photography, with with singers and dancers and actors like, you know, like uh, donkeys being part of the the. <laughs> But but it's beyond just like, OK, we'll have some we'll have some dancing donkeys in the back. It's they the the way they tell stories with these spectacular, almost psychedelic visuals. It's you usually only get spectacle like that in movies in big action superhero movies. Right. Where people are fighting. It's usually big fight sequences where you see that kind of fireworks. But. In Encanto, no one fights with their fists. And you have these just insane, spectacular visual moments of like, I'm going to the donkeys again because it's on my mind, but it's they're not just singing <laughs> and dancing. Like there's this moment in the song where she's talking about, oh, could I just have a moment where I let go of this pressure and and have a moment to myself? And she's floating through the air on a donkey and the donkey has this look on its face of serenity and they're flying like through these lovely pink clouds and it's so expressive and it's so you couldn't do that really in a normal movie they're really taking advantage of the form of okay we're a big budget disney animated movie right. we can make anything happen on the screen and really using it to not just show pretty stuff, but really tell the story and serve the characters. You know what the tagline should have been for this movie, given the excellence of the donkeys? Kiss my ass. Yeah. Budo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, we don't talk about budos. We just show yeah. them dancing. 
And then as I sit here talking to you from Ecuador, uh, it was beautiful to see Colombia represented um, visually, aesthetically. It's beautiful to see the cast, uh, mm-hmm. the cast names. We sat and watched a film last night with our kids um, from 1943 called The Leopard Leopard Man. And it was it was set in Mexico, but there was literally there was maybe one person who was not European in that film. They were all it was like so so what this film is doing in terms of visual representation and some level of authenticity. I have no idea if you're Colombian whether you think Encanto is uh, a, a truthful representation of your of your culture or a Hollywoodized representation, but my God, it's a step forward. Yeah, I mean, there's even the the song I think that was nominated for Oscar, which is like right at the central emotional climax of the movie, is Spanish language. Yeah, it's a beautiful, yes, beautiful uh, song in Spanish. Yeah, uh, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. No, it's good. Um, I it feels like we're coming to the end of our time, which sucks. <laughs> but we have we have three questions that we always ask. I can't quite remember what they are now. But I'll do. I'll go either. first, and then Cooper. I'll give you a moment to remember. My first question, and this doesn't have to be family-friendly content. This is not Disney. Okay. Jose, what is the most unusual thing that has happened to you in a movie theater? Oh. (laughs) Um, I remember... uh, I don't know, the, the first thing that comes to mind is an experience I had when I saw the movie The Fountain, the Aronofsky movie. Um, I was, I'd spent the day with um, an ex-girlfriend, but, and we were kind of still in love with each other. And we were sort of, you know, trying not to, like, you know, go home and, and get in bed with each other. And because we just thought that would be, be wrong for whatever reason and so we were kind of after lunch we kind of walked around for a while this is in new york new york city and and uh and then we you know stopped and maybe played some pool and we're like keep kept kind of extending this time and eventually we went to see a movie and we ended up seeing the fountain which um is this really beautiful romantic movie that i only ever saw it once as much as i want to see it again i had such a powerful experience with it i've hesitated to watch it again but we ended up like by the end of that movie just like holding each other and crying and um it was such an intense movie going experience where i think the the movie and the the context for the two people watching it were just in in such alignment um i don't know that's the one that comes to mind is there is there a film that you didn't participate in? You know, because you do so many things. So it's, you, it's usually for a director. Is there is there a, a movie that you wish you would have directed? Like you just feel it and could have done that film. Like this is the one I wish was had my name on it too. Oh man, yeah, I could see why people don't want to answer that. I can't answer that. that, that, that I might stop. I, I might feel, stop doing um, it after this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, just because like you know, then it's who who needs regrets really, yeah, right? They just don't they don't help. <laughs> I have I, I have an image to take us out on. I don't know, it just popped into my mind. That's 10, 15 years from now. It's the holiday season. Your family's gonna watch a movie, 
and dad picks uh-huh. the movie in Canto and all the kids roll their eyes a little bit. And then, <laughs> and then when they get to the one part where your eyes tear up, they all look at each other knowing yeah. and just kind of go like, dad, it's like you become, <laughs> you become that in this movie. Like the, cause you introduce this yeah. movie to them and it becomes a memory that it's like, you become nostalgic. Oh. That. I could see that happen. I That's love it. that. May that happen. Yes. May, uh, May the human race survive long enough for us to to watch that movie again. (laughs) Because your kids will roll their eyes at you sooner or later. It, It happens to everybody. This interview was recorded prior to the WGA and SAG AFTRA strikes. We proudly support the people who work to create these stories and bring them to the screen. If you'd like to share the film that blew your mind, send us an email to stories at thefilmthatblewmymind.com. The Film That Blew My Mind is hosted by me, John Cooper. And me, Tabitha Jackson. Our executive producer is Jessica Buzzard. The show is produced by Goat Rodeo, and to find more of their work, go to goatrodeodc.com. Executive producers at Goat Rodeo are Megan Nadalski and Ian Enright. Creative producers are Max Johnston, Isabel Kirby McGowan, Rebecca Seidel, and Jay Venables. Mixing and engineering by Rebecca Seidel. Intro music from Wayne Jones. Marketing and publicity by Stephen Raphael at Required Viewing. Graphics by Lee Fenvis. Special thanks to Trevor Groth, Kirsten Chopper, John Nine, and especially Christine Buzzard. Also to all our friends and family who put up with us and our crazy projects. Aww. If you like this episode, why don't you subscribe to stay up to date on new ones? And maybe leave us a rating and a review. Oh, and if you have any left, tell your friends. <laughs>